0: Revelation chapter 3 verses 1 through 6 say this, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works, you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Lord, this morning we want to hear your Spirit as, it, as he speaks to us through your word. So I pray that you would prepare our hearts for yet another challenging message. Uh, God, I, my desire is that none of us would walk out of here this morning without uh, truly Uh, hearing and then applying what you are saying to us collectively and individually that we would be changed as a result of this time that we spent together lord may it not be a waste may your word live up to its promise that it will not return void among us i ask this in jesus name amen so sardis sardis was an active church We've been doing a little historical uh, work on each one of the churches that we've been looking at in, in Revelation. Sardis was not only active, it was the largest of the seven churches. It was the wealthiest of the seven churches, but it was dead. Sardis as a whole actually received no commendation from Jesus, nothing positive to say, except to a few people individually. But collectively, as a church, there was nothing positive. They were dead. And what I find interesting about the church in Sardis is this. It's a dead church and there was no mention of persecution among them like we saw in Smyrna and Pergamum. There is no mention of having to deal with the heresies of the Nicolaitans like in Ephesus and Pergamum. The churches of Pergamum and Thyatira had some who were at fault and needed to be corrected. And yet the whole church had some commendation, but in Sardis... The ones who were at fault were the dominant group. You still have a few people who have not soiled their garments, just a few who hadn't compromised their faith, only a few who hadn't blended so strongly with the comfort and the riches of their culture that they were indistinguishable from those who had not been saved. By all accounts, this church was free to meet, it was free to worship, They were wealthy, they were sheltered, they were not experiencing tribulation or persecuted, and they were the ones who were dead. The temptation for the sheltered is always to take things easy. When you're facing persecution and tribulation, you have to be on guard. When you're sheltered, you can let your guard down. They either knew what it looked like to follow Jesus and they were just too lazy to live in grateful response to his grace or they thought that mediocrity was enough. But for those churches who were leaving everything to become missionaries to the unreached, they knew that mediocrity was not enough. For those churches who were being persecuted for their faith, they knew mediocrity was not enough. But Sardis, in its wealthy, sheltered, casual existence, had become lifeless and useless. Their website, their social media, their technology were top-notch. Their bulletin promoted programs happening all over the place. They had such a full calendar had a reputation amongst all the other churches of being so alive and vibrant in their city and among the other other churches, but they were so dead. (sighs) Do you find this letter so far as unsettling as I do? (laughs) Let's put things into perspective a little bit. Central Community Church is a relatively large church. Even our campus here in Agassiz compared to a national, a nationwide perspective, we're actually a large church. Collectively, we're huge. I would say that we are a wealthy church, locally, probably, but especially globally, we are a wealthy church. We're not a persecuted church. But at times, we are a busy church. <laughs> this is not stacking up very well, is it? And... It is my assessment that we have quite a few people who are present but not voting, so to speak. Is that too blunt? <laughs> I, I I don't like to, I don't like to, you know, sugarcoat things very often. Sometimes I do. I can act a little passive aggressive. I want people to like me, but we need to preach the the word of God as it's presented. We need to say it like it is. The likeness is so perfect here that it seems as if alive. So how do we know if we're dead, like the church in Sardis, or not? So this morning we're going to do three things. First of all, we're going to call the coroner. The coroner is a government official who, among other things, is empowered to conduct or order an inquest into the manner or cause of death. That's one of the jobs of a coroner. So today we're going to conduct an inquest. Secondly, we're going to call clear. What happens when when something that is on the brink of death needs to be brought back to life and you have to take extreme measures? (laughs) The paddles go on, the person in charge says clear, everybody hands off, and we try to resuscitate what we're going to do today, because that's what Jesus is calling. And secondly, we're going to call for a checkup. Five diagnostic questions that we need to ask for continued health in the life of the body of Christ. First of all, let's call the coroner. So here's the inquest, according to a number of sources, 10 contributing causes of death of a church. Are you ready? (sighs) I hope you don't check too many here, okay? But this is important. We need to take a hard look at what some causes of church death are. Number one, clinging to the past. Number one cause, living in the past. Rest on past ministry success. So in, in May this year, uh, Central Community Church is going to, actually we just did pass the 75 year mark. We're, we celebrated just last month our 75th anniversary but we're officially gonna celebrate it in May over the long weekend where we're gonna take a a look back. By the way, we've we've done some videoing of people who have been around since the beginning, and Art Isaac, are you here this morning, Art? Too bad. When I first announced this, Art Isaac, he was just ready to stand up and shout because in 19, oh, I forget the date now, when Central chartered with 82 people, Art was there. He wasn't a charter member because he had not yet been baptized, but he was 19 years old and he was there, and Central was formative to him. You're going to hear a bit of his story on the video that's going to be shared uh, in May, because they did an interview with him last week. Amazing. He started his spiritual formation, was baptized, grew, sang in the choir, all of that, and now I'm sharing his story for him at Central, just real quick. But then he went on to pastor uh, Laidlaw, and then he pastored Lake Arock. And then he was off to Saskatchewan for a while. Woo, I love this guy. And then he came back and uh, he helped out at Ross Road and at uh, uh, another church, uh, the big, big church in Abbotsford there, Central Heights. No, not Central Heights. Uh, what? No, 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 it's you, the other one. Come on, Clearbrook, Clearbrook MB. A lot of ministry to seniors as a, now as a, a lay person not paid. Uh, but uh, Lake Arock, oh man, he told me, you have to ask him what his wage was because he was dairy farming too while he was doing that. Amazing, amazing. And now come full circle. Lake Erotica is part of Central. He ended up in Harrison. Now here, he wants to go back to Harrison when that campus relaunches. Amazing story. Love it. But we're going to celebrate. We're going to look back. We're going to thank God. We're going to celebrate the stories, but then we're going to get back to pressing ahead. I, I, I know what it's like to be in a church that clings to the past. I served at one. where. All it seemed we did around the leadership table was report on what we had done. And and, and we never looked to the future about what God would want to do among us or ask him the question. God, what do you want to do tomorrow, next year, five years, ten years from now? You see, our history is important. It informs our present, and we make decisions but our, our, our present isn't focused on our history. Our present is foc- our, our, it's focused on what we're doing now, uh, the now and the not yet. It's been put this way. Many a church begins with a man, somebody who plants it, reaches out with a mission, becomes a movement, but ends up a monument or in the mortuary. Many churches begin so well and they slowly fizzle. You see, yesterday's victories and even yesterday's defeats are of little value for today's battles other than to learn from them and to keep pressing forward. First sign that a church is dead or dying is clinging to the past. Secondly, plagued with disagreements, plagued with disagreements, infighting, people not getting along. And at Central, we confront that stuff. <laughs> we do. And if you're a person who's gonna cause disagreements and division, we'll just help you find another place to do that, but it's not gonna happen here. Is that too blunt? Not gonna happen here. Did you watch Trump's State of the Union address? (laughs) Did you see the snub at the beginning? Nancy Pelosi given a copy by Trump himself of his speech. She extends his hand to shake hers. He turns around, walks away. (laughs) Then, at the end, as he's concluding his speech, he takes a few papers at a time and rips them right in front of the camera behind Trump's back. There's your speech, that's what I think of that. Infighting, disagreements, division. You know where disagreements and infighting usually starts? It starts with being preference-driven out of selfishness and personal agenda. This is what I want. This is what I want. We need to be asking the question again, Jesus, what do you want? (laughs) What do you want for this place? Third, boy, the coroner's report. It's a little uncomfortable, isn't it? Number three, having no clear purpose or vision. Uh. This is so linked to number one, isn't it? A church on a road to nowhere, you see that's what happens uh, when you are continually looking in the rearview mirror. You don't get very far because you can't see where you're going. So we want to be a a church that has clear purpose and vision. That's why our elder nomination process, I'm going to pitch it again, is so important. Ends next Sunday. You have one more week to pick up a form at the welcome desk there in the foyer and pray about someone here from Agassiz who would be an excellent candidate as an elder at Central Community Church. We have one team of elders who give oversight to all of our campuses and it's a critically important role. These are men with vision. I respect them and pray for them uh, as we all should that they would lead us well. Number four, a church uh, that does not adapt to the present needs and opportunities in the community. You see, communities change all the time. I mean, go to, go to, go to council meetings, right, Dwayne? Like, you're dealing with change rapidly. You're going to seminars. You're taking classes as council members uh, and engaged in the issues that are important to this community. Always evolving. Is the church the same? Now, conversely... Uh, dead churches may be all about a what's called a social gospel. Huge, heavy involvement in the community, but they lack the message of the gospel. There's some churches that all they do is preach the gospel, but they don't have an eye on the community and how that might apply. They're so cut off from the world that there's no engagement. They are not only not of the world, but they're not even in the world. <laughs> Jesus says you should be in the world, but not of it. We need to be in the world. And that means engaging with our community and our culture and at the same time bringing the good news of Jesus. Number five, God's supernatural power is never or rarely seen. Number six, they rarely pray together. And I I could preach a sermon on each one, but I keep going. Number seven, the preaching is ineffective. (laughs) Some of you might be thinking, amen to that. This is what I mean. Effective preaching (laughs) means, like Paul said to the Romans in chapter 1, verse 16, to not be ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Effective preaching is one that is unabashedly, unashamedly, preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. And God will give the results and the growth. For his glory, when we're faithful to that. Dead churches don't make Jesus the point, and they don't make the gospel accessible to people. Number seven, it sees the tenure of its pastors declining. I've not only seen this many times, but I've experienced it. Congregation is not receptive to challenge, growth, change, new vision. Pastor gets tired, he gets hurt, he gets burned out, he leaves, the next pastor comes, and the cycle repeats. Number nine, love of comfort outweighs love for Jesus. When a church becomes so domesticated to the culture, it becomes lethargic to the radical demands of our faith and the kingdom ways of Jesus because they are radical. Number 10, the great commission has become the great omission. This is what Dallas Willard said, there's no emphasis on evangelism or outreach. Few people can remember the last time that somebody was saved. Uh, That's what it means to be stuck in the past where there's no vision and no one is being called into God's work. This is challenging. So how does a dead church get its life back? So we need to call clear (laughs) and let Jesus put the paddles on, okay? So this is what we're going to do. Five treatments that contribute to life. The paddles is one. There's all manner of things you can do to resuscitate, none of which I know anything about. I just see it on TV once in a while, all right? That's not reality. This, friends, this next section is good news. This is gracious news. This is the turning point for us. That, That first section was pretty heavy. But a spiritually dead church is not without hope. I love what uh, Pastor Ken says in Freedom Session. If Jesus rose from the dead, and he did, anything is possible. Anything. The worst marriage can be resurrected and given new life. The most dead church can be resurrected and given new life. Amen? Amen? A dead soul, spiritually dead without Jesus Christ, can be made alive. Amen? We need to believe that. Jesus died and was raised again to life, and because he's alive, he specializes in bringing life. And so the call today to this church, first of all, is to wake up. Wake up good song down. Come alive, come alive, wake up. Some of us don't even look like we're alive. At least this church in Sardis had the reputation of being alive, but they were dead. Let's at least work on their reputation, okay? Am I being too blunt again? (coughs) Let's wake up. It's okay to look alive. I mean, not everybody has that personality. I get it. Not everybody is naturally bent on jumping and dancing and clapping and raising their hands, but it doesn't hurt once in a while. And I'm not talking about just that as we sing songs. I'm talking about being alive all the time as a believer and as a church, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, the rest of the week. Sardis was built on a hill so steep that it seemed impenetrable. But it was captured twice, once in 549 B.C. by Cyrus the Persian and once in 218 B.C. by Antiochus. On both occasions, enemy troops scaled the cliff at night to find that the Sardians had not even put guards on duty. They thought they were safe. So Jesus must have had that in mind when he writes in verse 3, if you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. We're supposed to be found ready and prepared and expectant of Jesus. Do we live that way? It'll make a huge difference in how we interact with people every day of the week. True story. A couple in England, who parked their car in front of their house every night, woke up one morning to discover that their car had been stolen. (laughs) So they reported it to the police, and they heard nothing, but two days later, they woke up to find that the car was safely back in front of their house. Inside, they found a letter apologizing for taking the car, but thanking them for the use of it for two days. And with the letter were two tickets to a show in town. So they went to the show, and they came home to find that their house had been robbed. (laughs) (laughs) These guys are smart. (laughs) The owners of the house should have been smarter. (laughs) Are we so spiritually lethargic that we don't notice things happening right under our nose? Or are we awake and staying alert? Remember, the first contributing factor to a dead church... Is living in the past, and we need to wake up. You know, I I was I was really alive back then. I really lived for Jesus back then. But what we see from Jesus here is an active faith in the present, engaged in the spiritual battle and the mission of the church. So Jesus said, "Wake up." Secondly, he said, "Get your strength back." What happens when you stay in bed? You become more and more lethargic. You get more tired. So easy just to stay on the couch and eat Doritos and go, oh, I know I should be going out for a walk. I don't know anything about this, by the way. But you go, oh, forget it. I'm too tired. But then you just get more tired. And then you watch your favorite show and then (sighs) you're falling asleep on the couch. And then now forget it. You're not going for that walk. What do doctors and physiotherapists, physiotherapists push for When someone has been bedridden, they've been sick, they've had surgery to replace a knee or a hip, oh, just stay in bed. You'll get better in a couple of weeks. No. Get up and move. It's going to be painful. We're going to help you through it. But that is the only way to get your strength back. Why strengthen what remains? Here's the hope. There's a little bit of life there because it is about to die. Jesus said, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found, I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Despite the dire circumstances here in this church, here's the encouraging thing about this. Faith that once exhibited was slumbering at best or non-existent at worst. You're dead, Jesus said, but you're not without hope. You're not without hope. It's encouraging to the church. There's always hope. So I'm going to read a, a couple of verses from Second Timothy, and I want you to imagine a, a person in your mind. Don't, please don't say the name out loud. That would not be nice. Uh, but just, just picture somebody in your mind as I read this description Paul said to Timothy. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, can you think of any narcissists in your world? Uh, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, sounds like the news, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Okay, you got, who do you envision? Is it, is it somebody who's like, quote-unquote, the worst of society? You know, an offender? Listen to verse 5. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. The description that Paul gave right here is, describes how many people would be described as a good Christian? They have this appearance, right? Fluent in Christianese, calling each other brother and sister, living life on life. (laughs) They can drop all the Sunday school answers. They look very much alive, but they're dead. Listen, all of us, (laughs) all of us, can put our name in that list that paul gave to timothy we are all sinners saved by grace but that grace does a work in us a work of sanctification by the power of the holy spirit you see sanctification is the present help we need by the holy spirit to say to fight sin to say no to sin Um, it's the ongoing process of salvation from the power and the practice of sin And, and, and we don't become stronger by being lethargic and not applying the power and the work of the Holy Spirit to our lives. By just having the appearance of a good Christian, but inwardly we're all of these things. Strengthen what remains. So how do we do that? Okay, the following three treatments are actually a good way. So we've got two out of five down. The following three treatments. So, so how do we strengthen what remains? Number three. Remember the gospel. Jesus actually says to this church, remember then what you received and what you heard. So we're going to break this gospel down into two parts, what you received and what you heard. He said, remember how you're saved, what you're saved from, and what you're saved to. You'll get your strength back by doing this and you will become more alive. We're such forgetful people. That's why every week we gather together as a body of Christ, to be strengthened, to to sing together, to worship together, to interact with one another, to be taught, because we need continual reminders. We, I am a person who is prone to wander and prone to forget, and if I am not actively exercising my faith, I will wander and become weak, and so will you. That's why Paul said, do not neglect the habit of meeting together. Even if it seems like a habitual, I got to go there, do it. (laughs) Do it. Because that's how you become strong over time. So Paul said, or Jesus said, remember first of all what you heard. The gospel. Remember what you received and what you heard. So you remember the gospel by rehearsing the gospel to yourself over and over again. And we need to be uh, uh, gospel-fluent people in our culture so that when the opportunity comes, we will know how to answer. With words, gospel words, that are seasoned with salt. We have to do it in the right way, and we have to be prepared to do it at any moment. This is what we need to tell ourselves over and over again. Jesus lived the life that I couldn't live. Jesus died the death that I should have died. Jesus paid the penalty that I should have paid, death. And Jesus rose from the grave so that I can rise with him and have new life. Amen. That's the gospel. You don't need to make it any more complicated than that. Jesus lived the life that I couldn't live. He died the death that I should have died. He paid the penalty that I should have paid for my sin. And Jesus rose from the dead so that I can rise with him. Have you forgotten this? I don't mean intellectually, have you forgotten this? But does, it, does this reality, does this message grip your heart? Does it move you? Does it motivate you? Does it stir you? Does it bring tears to your eyes when you think of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? Sammy Rhodes, who's a campus minister at the University of South Carolina and an author, he identified what he considers the top two obstacles to evangelism and discipleship. Evangelism, reaching the lost. Discipleship, teaching the new believer and maturing the the, the believer in Jesus, okay? Okay. The top obstacle to evangelism, assuming that the gospel has been heard. When we assume assume that others have heard, we don't go out and tell them. We don't actually share it with them. I have an amazing wife. I've told you this many times. And she's like, oh no, he's going to embarrass me again. But no, I'm not. You know how amazing she is? Because when, when Marcy and I are together and we're visiting, often we visit people in their most vulnerable state. They're in the hospital. They're sick. They're dying. And in those situations, we go visit. Somebody has a toothache, maybe you should go see the dentist. Don't call me, okay? <laughs> ah, just kidding. Tell me about it. I'll pray about it, All right. So we're, in a, we're, in a, we're with people in a vulnerable situation and the door is so open. And they're so ripe, so to speak, for the picking in terms of presenting the gospel to them. And Marcy's like, say it, say it. <laughs> or later, if I don't, she was like, how come you didn't say it? <laughs> so we say it. And we had the beautiful experience a couple of weeks ago visiting with a young woman named Candice. Two little kids, one teenager, who's dying of cancer, who gave her life to Jesus just about two weeks ago in palliative care. right? She's from Agassiz. Palliative care. It's amazing how God put that all together. I'm going to talk about the work of his Holy Spirit. But talk about the miraculous. A woman in Abbotsford who coincidentally, which I don't believe in, coincidences, ran into Candice three times the, at the cancer clinic in Abbotsford well one time actually in the parking lot her name is uh, Tina goes to Northview Tina contacted our office Pastor Jason forwarded an email to me I called Tina she put me in touch with Candace and we formed a little team to provide some care and Candace right now this is so cool is so excited about her new faith. She's telling everybody about it that comes into her room. She, her, her auntie and her cousin came from the Yukon, which is where she's from. First Nations uh, woman. And they brought with them a Bible that was her grandmother's, who was a believer, who passed away in about 2001 or something like that. And they gave it to Candace. And every time we walk in the door, she says, oh, my Bible is over there. My Bible is over there. And we read and we pray. And she's so excited about this. It just brings life. This is what brings life to me. You know what sucks the life out of me? People who whine and complain because they don't get what they want. That sucks the life out of me. But what gives me life is when I have an opportunity to share Jesus with somebody and read the Bible with them and pray with them and see their excitement of their new growing faith blossom. Does it, does it do that for you? Top obstacle to discipleship. So that's evangelism. Top obstacle to discipleship. Assuming that the gospel has been remembered. But clearly, lethargic churches made up of lethargic Christians have forgotten, and we need to remember the good news. So Jesus said, remember what you've heard. Secondly, remember what you received. What did you receive when you became a Christian? The Holy Spirit. Some people have forgotten all about the Holy Spirit. I'm getting so excited, now I'm spitting. That's why the front row is never occupied. I had a professor at college. You think I'm excited this morning and animated? Oh, my goodness. Bob Seal, that guy, he would get rid in the face. He would start teaching like this. Uh, so welcome class here today. and Today we're going to be studying this topic. And by the end of the class, he was, he was in a theater-style room. He was running up and down the aisles. He was pacing. He was jumping off the stage. He was red in the face, and he was shouting at us, and the spit was flying so far we had to. I was a front row student, but we had to literally put up our books sometimes to, to keep from getting hit. I'm excited this morning because of the life that the Holy Spirit brings. Sardis is dead because their lives are void of the Spirit. Jesus said, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. We've talked about this. The seven stars represent those angels, right? And and the candlestands are the churches that can be removed by Jesus or set up. The seven spirits is not... Now the the you know the nine members of the Godhead, but it is the perfect, complete, perfect Holy Spirit. Remember, the number seven completion, perfection. God has given us Himself, His perfect Spirit in our to live in our lives, that we might become alive, and that others might come alive. Uh, George Barna, he's a, a he's a an American Christian pollster. He pulled. Um, the American church a few years ago now, but this was the result of a question that he asked about the Holy Spirit. The result is this. 87% of American evangelicals say that they have not felt or tasted of the presence of God in the last decade. Decade, 87% dead. Let me be blunt again. Is that you? is that me? When's the last time that you had an encounter with God? When is the last time that you've sensed the power and seen the power of God in you and working through you? You prayed for healing for someone, and God healed them. You shared the gospel with someone, and they were receptive. You sensed the Holy Spirit guiding you to say something to someone or do something for someone, and it was exactly what they needed. It wasn't a coincidence. You were in a situation that otherwise would have seemed hopeless and desperate, but God gave you a sense of calm and peace, and you knew that His Spirit was comforting you and working in you. But we don't live there day to day, or very often not at all, or as the poll says, maybe not even for a decade Perhaps some of us have rejected the gentle nudges of the Holy Spirit for so long, we don't really even sense his presence at all anymore because we continually quench the work of his spirit in our lives. That's a dangerous thing. All of a sudden, God will stop speaking to us. So Jesus said, strengthen what remains and remember. Number four, hold on to the gospel. Remember then what you received and heard, Receive the Spirit, you heard the gospel, remember now. Keep it. Hold on to it. It takes intentional effort not to drift. Drifting happens without us realizing it. We can drift into compromise. We can drift into doctrinal error. We can drift so fast. It takes effort to stay straight and to hold on. Uh, we don't we've had a little bit of snow this winter but nothing really like we have we haven't really experienced any true blizzards there's certain areas where it can blow pretty hard where we can't see and we can drift because remember snow drifts <laughs> they drift <laughs> and we drift with them one time uh, Marcy and her, f- and her family when Marcy was uh, a teenager or a girl whatever went to Calgary for Christmas they had relatives there on the way back, hit a blizzard. We're talking a blizzard where you cannot see in front of your car, blizzard. In order to make any progress <laughs> at all, they didn't want to stop. But they had to, they had to crawl at a walk pace and uh, took turns uh, driving and having one person walk along the edge of the ditch just so you could, like the, all you could see was them right at the front bumper like right there that's just all you could see and that person walked just to keep the car from going into the ditch cuz we just you just end up there if you're not intentional and do something if even if it takes something radical like that in your life to have a friend walk with you that you don't go into the ditch do it hold on to the gospel Paul said to Timothy, watch your life and your doctrine closely. This is what you received and what you heard. Your life and your doctrine are so important because if we don't watch it, we drift. And when we, and when we combine uh, not watching our life and our doctrine closely, uh, it is a deadly combination. We aren't merely to receive Jesus. We're to cling to him from there, that point on. That's why Jesus said in John 15, abide in me as I in you. A branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. We need to cling and abide in Jesus. And finally, we need to repent. We can't get away from this, friends. Five out of the seven churches, Jesus calls them to repentance. Wake up. Number one, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it, number four, and repent. That's verses two and three. Repentance is simple. So hard to do, but it's it's such a simple concept. Do you know what repent means? It means to stop, to turn around, and, and, and change, and go the other way. Stop where you've been going it leads to the ditch. You'll drift there. Change your direction in attitude and in action. That might mean to stop a sin that keeps you from passionately following Jesus and makes you impotent and powerless and dead. Some of us need to repent of the mindset that we don't need to repent. I don't need that. Unbelief, disbelief is the most dangerous thing And we need to repent of an attitude that says we don't need to repent because that denies a critical tenet of the doctrine of sin, which is this, all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. If you think this morning that you are not a sinner, you are a liar. That's what God's word says. Some people look at repentance in a very negative light. It's an indictment in how they're living and a threat. Others see it for what it truly is, a grace. A grace in our lives because Jesus is so patient and because Jesus became sin where he knew no sin that we might be reconciled to God. And he wants us to daily put off the old, put off those things that kill us and put on the new so that we can experience life in him every day. Repentance is a gift and it's a grace of God. Jesus began his ministry by declaring the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Direct quote from Jesus. So Jesus said, if you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. I don't think it's a reference to the second coming of Jesus, but Jesus coming in judgment. And it's gracious of him to give us this warning and time to repent, but the opportunity doesn't last forever. So this morning, would you consider repenting that you might come alive? Are you experiencing deadness of soul and heart and action? Repent of that. And come alive and the promises in this scripture are so rich verse 4 they will walk with me ah sweet fellowship and communion with God this is a picture of community they will be clothed in white garments he says it twice it's a picture of he says because they're worthy it's a picture of our worth and our purity in Jesus he will clothe us with white garments and the last promise that Jesus gives here is security when we repent, we return to him. He says, I will never blot his name out of the book of life. It's an image of, of being held by Jesus. Imagine Jesus having your name actually written down in a book and that he will one day turn to God the Father and to all of the angels that are with him and say, I know her. I know her. Her name is Susan. Susan. Hey, hey, I know him. It's written down. Eldon is here. I hope I hear that one day. I long to hear that. This is the Christian hope. And so we need to call regularly for a checkup. And my wife is probably laughing at me right now because I don't do doctors. I hate checkups. Just being honest. How many of you like to go for the checkup? nope but these are the questions we need to ask number one what place does jesus occupy in my life who is on the throne number two am i living up to my reputation pun very much intended (laughs) jesus said you have a reputation of being alive but you are dead are you living up to your reputation if your reputation is being alive are you really alive number three are my works hiding a dead heart am i just doing things so people don't see what's in here Number four, if Jesus were to take his spirit away from me, what would it make any difference? Ask yourself that question. When was the last time I shared Jesus with another person? I want to quote Chuck Swindoll. It's going to be on the screen. Love this preacher. He's been around a long time. Swindoll said, A dead church lacks evangelistic and missionary zeal. Turn inward on their own needs, preferences, and comfort, unhealthy churches give half-hearted attention to the conversion of the lost. In contrast, living churches devote time, resources, and energy to both local evangelism and worldwide missions. In the message to Sardis, we saw Christ revealed as the life-giver. He alone grants spiritual vitality to those with a comatose or dying faith. In light of his urgent alarm to Sardis, All of us who tend towards spiritual stupor must turn from stale religious routine and embrace the abundant life only Jesus can provide. He extends a sincere invitation to you right now. If you feel the stiffness of spiritual rigor mortis setting in, take Christ's word to heart. Wake up and declare your devotion. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. And then we're going to sing that song, I think, Dan, again. Sing it again. Come on up. Lord, you are so good because you take what is dead and you make it alive. It is your specialty and we praise you that only you have the ability to do this. And Lord, we acknowledge that it's only you that has this ability. We need your help. Make us alive. Make me alive. Make this church alive. I I so badly want to see more and more new believers fill this place that we might have the joy of seeing life here and to be able to disciple them and a walk with you. Lord, open doors for the gospel. Open hearts to receive the good news. Open our mouths to declare it boldly. Bring us life. In Jesus' name, amen.